It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How's it going, Grady Nation? Chris Thomas here. Hope you're having a great day kind of day. On this installment of Grady Nation, I'm talking with content creator Adelia Acker. To learn more about Adelia, go to itsdelz.com. It's deals.com. Adelia, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm chatting with you, so I can't complain. <laughs> Adelia, did you grow up in California or Arizona? I grew up in California. I went to college in Arizona, lived there for about a year and a half after college, then moved to San Diego, and then back to LA. And did you have brothers and sisters? I do have a brother. Um, he is a little bit embarrassed about my job, so we're not really on speaking terms. I just, I think that my mom wants to control everything around her. And when something or someone she isn't able to control, she freaks out and will do anything to try to control the situation, which is how I think I ended up in rehab because she realized that I can't be controlled. Like I really can't. Even to this day, I think she, her, her and my dad, even though I have my dad blocked, they try to control me with um, financial incentives, but now I don't really need their financial incentives anymore. So they kind of lost it. So you've pretty much not really communicating much with your brother or your dad. Are you still in touch with your mom from time to time? Um, as of about a week ago, I, am, I cut her off again. Um, we'll see how long it lasts. She was passing me messages from my dad um, after I was like, why would you be passing me messages from someone who was blocked? And it's not like he's blocked for no reason. He is blocked because he has done a series of just awful, said awful things to me. So why would she be doing that? Um, so I told her that she needs time to take accountability and to reflect why she would do something like that where I'm not with her or talking to her. So I mean, moving forward, mm -hmm. how do you think this can potentially be resolved? Uh, my mom just needs help, and she doesn't want to get help, and that's the annoying part. I am the only one in my entire family taking getting help seriously, 
And I've been trying to get my mom to go to therapy for a while and my dad to go to therapy for a while. But as my mom has said, the Bible is her therapy, which is very concerning for a parent to say that. And my dad doesn't think he needs therapy because he thinks I'm the problem and that he's done everything right by being so mean to me. So, um, yeah, that's a big reason I don't want to talk to either of them because I actually told my dad the day he started going to therapy is the day that I would unblock him and he hasn't done it and still looks at poor me. Why did my daughter block me? So it is very much conditional with respect to going to therapy and then maybe a potential for initiating a dialogue again between the two of you. Yeah. Cause I just, I refuse to be talked to the way I've been talked to by my parents. And I think that they need therapy to kind of look within and be like, Oh, actually I'm unhappy with myself and this, this, and this. And that's why I have to project all of my insecurities onto my daughter and call her a whore. So a lot of the nasty comments are, of your work with OnlyFans? Is that what I'm getting? It was before OnlyFans. My dad has been calling me a whore, I think, since high school. So that was, it's been, it's been an ongoing thing. And then OnlyFans just set him off even more. But I mean, anywhere from my Instagram pictures to my rave pictures, like, I mean, it had a lot to do with social media, it had a lot to do with how I dress, it had a lot to do with quote unquote, how I presented myself. But he's been critiquing me for a really long time. And I just always, even back then, I was like, this is stupid for him to be judging me for what I'm doing when I know he pays for strippers. I know he goes to Vegas and goes to the strip clubs. So, like, why is he judging me for this kind of stuff? Like, shouldn't he look within and ask, why am I judging people that I'm paying for? Folks, I think she meant so uh, so darn stupid. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I'm not lasting very long trying not to cuss. We need to have a swear jar. <laughs> in elementary and high school, when did you perhaps notice that you might have had some self-esteem concerns tied to how your parents were treating you? I think it started in sixth grade. Um, my parents used to make a lot of comments, fat shaming people. And I would be one of those people, of course, but it wasn't just towards me. It would be towards everybody. So in sixth grade, I developed an eating disorder and I started throwing up in sixth grade, seventh grade. I mean, I honestly only stopped throwing up. I think when I was 23 was 22 or 23 was like the last year that I threw up like purposely, you know, I still I've had food poisoning. I take a lot of mushrooms. I've thrown up from alcohol, but not purposely with the intent of getting skinny. So I'm very proud of myself for that. But I noticed the self-esteem issues got pretty bad in sixth grade, but it, I mean, it was even bad before sixth grade. It's just that is the year that really stood out to where I would hyper obsess about trying to be pretty. And why were you so concerned about being perceived as beautiful? Yeah. I mean, it was something that my parents put such an emphasis on. And um, do you think though that you know, struggling with bulimia from sixth grade to 23 years old I mean, that's quite an extensive time period. Yeah. And it's, you know, linked to potential affirmation from your parents. Do you still feel a void because you haven't really gotten that sense from your parents that you're valued and appreciated? 
Um, I have been working on myself a lot. So I think with my dad, not really. Um, my mom, I'm still processing a lot of stuff with her. So that is the next thing. And when was your first boyfriend? I was 14 and he was just awful. He was, he was not a great, I mean, he was the first guy to ever give me attention like that, really. So I was thrilled, but yeah, he, he like, I remember he would like yell at me till I cried about stupid stuff, like that I would let my dog sniff too often. And then, um, (laughs) yeah, it's like the dumbest shit that he would pick fights uh, with me over. And, um, with my upbringing, my parents always taught me that I wasn't allowed to, set boundaries or stand up for myself so i did i let him walk all over me i let a lot of my exes walk all over me because i was taught that that is the way i earn love because my parents love towards me was always very conditional on if i would be a good good girl sit still if i would listen to everything they had to say throw out any feelings i had about what i had to do because they know better than i do so that really translated in my relationships and even friendships up until recently Um, The minute I started setting boundaries, a lot of my friendships have dissolved, um, which really sucked. And it still sucks, um, but it's something that's necessary for my growth and to have those healthy friendships and relationships. So definitely with your parents, gender roles, women in the compliant capacity. Even my brother, it wasn't just me. They just wanted, I think my dad specifically had kids to be like little obedient clones of him but he never considered when he had kids that they would have like minds of their own personalities of their own and it really upset him that we weren't just like him if you feel comfortable you don't have to say but (laughs) what is your brother currently doing now he is following in my dad's footsteps um doing financial advising so He's around my dad a lot, and I think my brother's opinions of me changed the more he works with my dad um, because he wasn't always like this. I mean, my dad wanted me to follow in his footsteps, too, and when I didn't want to, he would lash out at me and find it would be so weird because he's like, come work for me at my company and do this training program to be a financial advisor just like me. I was like, no, you seem kind of miserable, so why would I want to do the job? (laughs) And my dad would then, it it would be so weird. He would find little things, like he'd find something on Instagram. And this was at a time when I was barely even posting bikini pictures. It was like going out pictures. I'd be wearing clothes. I'd be like at a bar or something. He'd send me a picture and be like, well, my company wouldn't want you anyways, because look at how you're dressed. You dress like a whore. Like you're good, like good luck finding a job. You're never going to be successful. Just like a whole toxic that I remember my mom My mom doesn't stand up for me often, but she even had to put her foot down and say, you are treating her like, like crap. <laughs> I caught myself. No, yeah. <laughs> after, after five instances. No, but I find that interesting it, that you use the curse words each time the subject matter is talking about your dad. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like with your dad, it elicits, stirs up really passionate feelings yeah a little bit (laughs) but but what i'm trying to reconcile is you have him blocked Mm -hmm. you don't want to interact with him but when you think about him it elicits you know such strong feelings so 
I'm, I'm trying to figure out why that is. I, I mean, I'm still dealing with a lot of the, uh, I don't know, just like the emotional stuff he's put me through growing up. Um, I mean, he's always told me that I'm not enough. Nothing I ever do is enough. And I still struggle with this feeling of I'm not enough no matter what I do. So, and I mean, it was from my mom too, but it was mainly from my dad. So I think that until I really fix all of these issues that, I mean, he's caused, that there will be this emotional response with him. And I've been working on it. I'm working on releasing my anger. I do boxing and I love to punch things to get those little releases. But I mean, the way he treated me growing up, it was it was like half neglectful, but half verbal abuse. And I don't think there was anything else I ever received from him. I mean, he threw a lot of money at me and the money was great. Like he would buy a lot of things, but emotionally he was either neglectful or verbally abusive. You heard it here first, folks. Adelia's down to throw hands. Yeah, I am. <laughs> now, <laughs> in middle school, high school, was sex something you thought about a lot or was that something that came up more in college? No, uh I remember middle schools when I started my period. I started my period actually in sixth grade. And this was the same year that I started um, throwing up and stuff. But um, when I started my period, it was just the weirdest thing because I was this good little Christian girl. And I just remember being like, it felt uncontrollably horny. And I had no idea what to do about it. Because I'm like, I'm Christian. I can't masturbate. I can't look up porn. I can't hook up with guys. So I was just stuck feeling horny for a long time <laughs> until my hormones kind of mellowed out. I don't know what happened. And then uh, when I got to high school, I remember my freshman year of high school, and this is still when I was really Christian, and this boyfriend, my first boyfriend ever, we started kind of fooling around. And it, we didn't have sex or anything, but, like, I uh, blew him, and he would finger me. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to be some hypocrite Christian, so I'm just going to drop it as a whole because Christianity always talks about doing good in this life to have a happy afterlife. And I was thinking, why on earth would I sacrifice my happiness in my real life for an afterlife I know nothing about? So that's when I stopped being Christian and I started hooking up with men when I was in high school and college. I don't know, college my freshman year was pretty crazy. Sophomore year and junior year, I didn't really hook up with anyone. And then senior year, I went crazy again. So I go through phases of being a little hoe. But it's been over a year since I've had sex. So with a man, I've had sex with like women, but um, I don't have that same emotional connection with women as I do with men. Are you still friends or in touch with people during your high school and college days? I was, yeah, um, I'm still friends with a good amount of people from my high school. I think I lost touch with a lot of people while I was in college, but they also lost touch with me because we were all, you know, drunken alcoholics trying our best to go to class after a bender. <laughs> um, but I still keep in touch with a good amount of people from my high school. Um, a lot of who I hang out with in LA are people from my high school, since they're always the ones like down to hang out, I'd say. And then college, I'd, a lot of my best friends are from college. So yeah, I keep up with some of them. I will say a lot of... Um, a lot of people from my college are pretty toxic and a lot of people from my high school are pretty toxic, but 
I just don't hang out with those people. So uh, my parents sent me to rehab my whole senior year, one of those like troubled teen institutes in Utah. And uh, the thing about the rehab is I didn't have any access to the outside world. So I missed every single deadline um, for colleges that I really wanted to go to because I didn't have internet connection to even know when the deadline was. So they finally let me start applying to colleges. And um, I think it's like November 30th is a deadline for a lot of the UCSD schools. So like, like are the San Diego ones or like the UC San Diego, UCLA, all of the schools that I was like kind of wanting to go to. So my options were, um, I remember like there was like Boulder, some schools in Miami, um, some schools in Texas and then Arizona. And the, I don't know, I, after being in Utah for a winter, I was like, I realized how much I hate the cold. So I decided against anywhere that was cold. And then it was between this Miami school and the University of Arizona and the U of A gave me a pretty hefty scholarship. So I chose there. And I already had friends at U of A too from um, high school. So I'm like, it's not like I'm just going to be going in not knowing anybody. So... I mean, in order to qualify for a scholarship, obviously you have to be a strong s- student. Yeah. Why is it then that you would, as you describe it, be kidnapped and sent to rehab? Oh my God, it's crazy because I actually had a 3.9 GPA when I got kidnapped. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was the year before. I know my freshman year, I kind of bombed it, but sophomore and junior year, I had a really good GPA. So yeah, my... uh I just, I failed the drug test for weed. So my mom just felt like I was control me anymore. Um, there was like, I don't know. I was drinking with friends too often. She found my fake ID. She, which I mean, what, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just in LA where people are crazy, pretty young, but what high schooler doesn't have a fake ID to try to buy alcohol. I mean, that was very common where I went to school. So yeah, she just felt like I was, way too out of control and wanted to send me away which I still disagree with that decision I don't know how I was out of control I still I mean I've always kind of been a grandma I like to go to bed early it's it's not like I was overdoing anything (laughs) well you are a constant napper and we'll get to that at some point (laughs) but I, I was just thinking I mean the isolation in rehab how do, how did that impact your mental health moving forward? I never noticed my anxiety until rehab and it got really bad in rehab. And rehab was really the time that I started fantasizing about like just little trigger warning, but like suicide, I would have suicidal ideations every single night. And I just have never had the balls to actually kill myself. So it was very isolating. The girls in rehab I don't know. I wasn't really, I wasn't accepted. I wasn't cool. I wasn't popular. So I stuck my head in a book the whole time and just finished my whole senior year of high school in like three months um, with all honors classes. Um, Yeah, it was, it was an interesting time and to be isolated from all my friends and my mom lied to me too and told me that she told my friends that they could write to me and none of them wanted to write to me. And then when I got out, my friends told me, no, your mom said we couldn't write to you. Uh, so a bit of manipulation on her part. There was just a lot of manipulation. And there's a lot of manipulation in the rehab, too, 
um, where they would lie to my parents about stuff I was doing. So they thought I was a bigger problem than I was. So I would stay for longer. Um, so the rehabs try to manipulate your parents to squeeze as much money out of you as possible. How are you able to break free of rehab? I was there for seven months and, um, I went home for a home visit and the family therapist I was going to at the time. So her and my mom kind of strategized because my mom was so concerned that I wanted to stop going to this therapist that she just sent me to rehab. And all I was asking was for a new therapist that wasn't her because she was a little manipulative. But I came home from rehab and she took one look at me and was like, oh, my God, like, what did this place do to you? Like, I was broken. I didn't feel any emotions anymore. I was just like numb. So then she pulled me out and it was, I think two months before my 18th birthday anyways, where my parents would have had to pull me. Um, but yeah, that's when they pulled me. I didn't have a phone for like two or three weeks. And then I got a job. And um, it's funny because after my 18th birthday, I remember I failed the drug test for Coke because <laughs> I kept drug testing me. And I was like, I'm, I'm 18. You can't continue to drug test me. So then I just moved to my friend's couch until I went to college. Well, I mean, uh, cocaine in teenage age, I mean, that's pretty intense stuff. Unless you meant Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my high school, people started doing coke or started doing coke at like, I don't know, 15. I was pretty late in the game to be doing that as an 18-year-old. Well, I, I mean, I grew up in L.A., and this sounds like a pr pretty intense <laughs> I mean, our our schools were quite different. Yeah, but Maybe you finally get to you you finally get to U of A, and you <laughs> you admit during the time you had a pretty high sex drive. Oh yeah, and it felt like you were having sex with a different guy every weekend in class. You would get turned on and want to have sex. Yeah, what was it? about this time period in particular that kind of led to constant urges? I mean, even before I went to college, I was having sex a lot. It was just with the same person or same two people. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's not as fun. <laughs> yeah. So then when I got to college and there were all of a sudden all of these options, I just wanted to, I don't know, because like I've, I've been a horny person for like a long time. So just by the time I got to college, I wanted to start having sex with like a new person every weekend. I wanted to really just see what was out there. And I based a lot of my college experience on this uh, TV show called Blue Mountain State. And in Blue Mountain State, they, I remember they said, your freshman year is your whore year. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's make this my whore year. Is it the validation of giving someone else pleasure or no. you feeling pleasure? No, I'd say a lot of it had to do with me. Um, I didn't know what a vibrator was at the time. And I didn't know that I could get a vibrator or that I could get myself off because I don't think that self-pleasure was talked about as much back then. So um, it was really, I was just having sex to like at least get my horniness levels down so I could like focus on other things. And I know a lot of men kind of describe that same thing where it's like if they don't have sex or if they don't come, it's like, their brain feels like it's all over the place. Like, that's how I would feel. <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. No, I'm, I'm yeah. joking. <laughs> no, let me get this straight. So there was uh, 
cocaine in your high school, but not vibrators. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What, what, it's crazy what's the, lever- the guy I was hooking up with for all of high school, pretty much, it was like three years on and off or four years on and off because it was like from my sophomore year of high school to like my freshman year of college um, that he was like the Coke dealer or one of the Coke dealers for the whole school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, he gave me my first try because I honestly, I like caffeine way more than Coke. You think your self-esteem growing up played a role in how you perceived yourself? Probably. Um, I, I'd say so. Um, I think my self-esteem is only just getting high, but like, it's weird because the more confident I get, I feel like my face almost changes to like kind of affirm that I'm like pretty and stuff like that. Like if I call myself pretty every day, which I have been, it's like my face almost changes and just looks more vibrant and looks better. And I'm like, oh, wow, it's working. <laughs> um, but I didn't have any of these tools really back then. <laughs> and you, you said it for at least a period it definitely hurt when people would say you looked chubby or fat on social media, like TikTok. Oh, is it 100%. is it because it was reinforcing things that your dad said? I mean, or it just kind of is re- it just tied to long term body perception concerns? I think it's just reinforcing the idea that like I am not enough. Like I am not enough with my body type. I'm not enough with the way I look. I'm not enough. Even though I love my personality, I just think it affirms this idea that, like, I am not enough. And that is always pretty hard. And I do, I've always had a little bit of body dysmorphia. Like, right now, I'm pretty confident with the way my body is and how I look. Um, the only thing I'd like to change is, like, I have a lot of bloating issues right now from indigestion. So it's something I'm working on with, like, bone broth and juices and acupuncture so that I can uh, get my belly to, like, just calm down a little bit because I got a lot of stomach pains. See, we're hitting on health. This yeah. is going to turn into a health podcast. <laughs> You've talked about enjoyment that you get from hitting on guys. Why is that and what is your approach? I like the chase. I don't like it when men hit on me. Um I don't know, because I think when men hit on me, I feel too much pressure to make a decision in that moment. But when I hit on a guy, it's after I've kind of scouted him out for at least an hour. It's not like I'm just seeing a hot guy and going after him. Like, I usually look at him for a little bit, look at how he maneuvers, and then I go up to him. And then um, I think it varies from guy to guy, but, like... I mean, the last guy I really scouted out, he knew I had a crush on him, but he also was, like, my photographer and videographer. So he was, like, I don't want to ruin the business side of things, but it was, like, my first time drinking in a few months. And then I went straight up to him, made out with him, and was, like, you're coming home with me. Because I knew he thought he I was hot. We were all in the same friend group. And, like, when I was in college, I would just kind of go up to guys and be like, you're really hot, and then walk away to see if they would follow me. So there wasn't really any pressure on their end. You acknowledge being very picky, but you also acknowledge that you still end up more often than not picking the wrong man. What might this be a function of? Um, 
as my life coach likes to put it, I have gone for emotionally unavailable men to try to recreate the relationship I have with my father with a different outcome. Very succinct. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it kind of ties into this celibacy for a year. Mm -hmm. Is, Is this a explicit choice? Because of this uh, problem of picking the wrong guy each time? I mean, I have gone through celibacy phases a lot throughout my life. Um, a year is a long time. <laughs> oh, I've, I've done a year before. Um, my sophomore to junior year of a celibate for a year and two months. So I'm actually right about, <laughs> right about there um, at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I've told myself that the next guy I have sex with He's going to be my boyfriend. And um, I've also kind of put into play that the next guy who, like, like if this guy is going to be my boyfriend, we need to be friends for about three months first with no sex, no nothing. Because I've noticed a lot of men, they become, like, infatuated with me. And they become infatuated for about a three-month period. And then after that three-month period is over, they realize, oh, actually... I don't have feelings for her. And then I'm like obsessed with them at this point. Every single time the guy gets over me. So I want that three month period to be in place so that they know if they would actually want to be with me and vice versa. You let the vagina or the penis talk over your emotions. Have you ever been in a scenario within a relationship where you're you know, physically aggressive, hitting your partner? No, my God, no. Um, I do like to be hit in bed, though. I for sure have asked to be slapped in the face during sex, punched. Like, I love that stuff. But um, if it's not while we're having sex, no, I no. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I was just about to ask, what has been the best sex you've ever had? <laughs> what What was so special about it? And I guess the Mike Tyson punch-out quality <laughs> is the answer. Um. So... The best sex I ever had was with this, like, videographer-photographer guy, actually. Um, The one who I was really drunk and went up to met a party and was like, you're coming home with me. Um, But he really prioritized me, and that was something that I had never really experienced before. So it's like he would use my vibrator. He would take his time with me. It's like I came first. He came second. Then we would keep going and sucking his penis 
he was telling me what to do to like make it better you know communication oh just because his preferences I yeah yeah I mean I was also asking because I know I'm bad so I'd be like yo please tell me what I could do better because otherwise I'm gonna just have no idea what I'm doing there have been instances where you've been with men that have a small penis but what yeah in Adelia Acker's estimation constitutes a small penis under five inches okay okay yeah i i passed the ruler test (laughs) Uh, and you you said that you have an issue with uncircumcised penises i i found that personally hurtful that's okay (laughs) what is it about uncircumcised penises that turns you off they look scary to me it's like (laughs) it it looks kind of like a worm with like just something like poking out i don't know and it just it looks it just looks very odd and also having to like pull the skin back and not knowing what to do with the skin just everything about it is scary to me a worm with something poking out i mean that sounds like pete davidson come on i mean look at those eyes (laughs) i mean look at pete Come on, give me a break. <laughs> now, are you still seeking out getting your tubes tied? Yes. Um, I've kind of put a pause on that right now because I just, I've been working on my health all year. And my health has just been a very slow, gradual journey to get back to normal. Um, I mean, I don't think my health has ever really been normal, but like just getting back to having energy and stuff like that. So I don't think a procedure where I would have to go under anesthesia would be good for my health journey right now. And it's not even like I'm having sex with anybody, but it's definitely something I want to do in the next, I don't know, year or two. Oh, wow. So, I mean, that's not too far away. Yeah. When was it, though, that you decided having kids was not for you? I think I was in seventh grade. Yeah. But what what was it I in just, seventh grade that led to that decision? I think it was, I mean, I've never gotten along pretty well with kids. They've, I've always found them annoying. They're screaming. Even like me as a child was a red flag that like I wouldn't have been able to handle myself. Um, and my hairdresser had just given birth and she brought her baby to like do my hair at the time in just even being around her baby made me nauseous and to this day i get nauseous being around babies or kids so that is just how i know and toddlers too i can't i can't handle toddlers even my dog doesn't like toddlers because they're screaming they're crying and i don't have the patience and i i i'd be so scared of being a bad parent too no, not even that. I, I don't even want to be a parent. I want to be like a cool aunt or something where I can have them for an hour and give them back whenever I'm done. Is there an element of fear that you could potentially be repeating the exact same mistakes your parents made with you? I don't think that's it um, because I'm very, very different than my parents and I've been doing the work. So I know I wouldn't, um, but... I am self-aware enough to know that I am too selfish to have a kid or to want a kid because I want my money to be my money. I want what I want to do with my life to be my priority. 
I don't want my kid to be my priority because that just gets in the way of a lot of the goals I have and the things I want to do. And it's like, I'm a dog person. I want to do a lot of stuff with dogs. And I think that'll take up enough of my time um, to fill any mommy void. Not that I even think I would have one, but a lot of people say that the older you get, you might. I just don't think so. Because it's been, what, from seventh grade, I was 12, and now I'm 25. That's 13 years of knowing I don't want kids. And this emphasis on doing your own thing, if marriage were to ever be a component of your life, are you going to keep separate bank accounts? Like, Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I would never join a bank account, especially because... I mean, just with the way my OnlyFans has been going and my career has been going, there's a decent chance that I'm going to be the breadwinner. But the last three guys I hooked up with, um, all of them were kind of poor. Um, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but they all... Well, it is Los Angeles, crying yeah. out loud. Uh, well, they, two of them were in San Diego and one of them was here. But they were kind of expecting me to fund their life, like pay for dinners, pay for the Ubers. If we were going out, like pay for all of this stuff. And I was just, I am fed up with that because I've already felt used and abused by a lot of friends in this industry. So my money is always going to be my money in a relationship. And if he's rich too, yeah, he can spend money on us, but my money will continue to be my money. Um, I'm just, I'm having none of that. (laughs) Do you think there's a lack of trust? Um, Kind of. Um, But I also see the dynamic that my parents have where I think my mom is really scared to stand up for herself because my dad has so much money and she doesn't have as much money as he does. So, you know, she's scared to leave him. Well, I mean, she's never said that. I'll just put that out there. This is just me viewing their relationship but it's like she would never be able to leave him or really stand up for herself because he's the breadwinner so it's like I just never want a dynamic that's like unhealthy like that with my life like I even want my future boyfriend or husband or whatever to have a separate house than me that's just across the street and are you still off birth control yeah I got off birth control um for my hormones um it's been an interesting experience to say the least are you still having traumatic periods? Not as bad. I'm actually on mine right now. Um, the cramps are still a little gnarly, but um, I don't feel as weak and lightheaded. So it kind of sounds like a weird question, but has the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade shaped your point of view on anything um, in terms just... of having kids or it's just reinforced your beliefs? It just makes me think that the men in government are disgusting human beings who don't deserve, they don't deserve rights themselves to take away women's rights. Um, No, I think the Roe versus Wade overturning has just, um, I mean, I live in California where I don't think it'll really ever be affected, but I'm still just in case, like I will not have sex with someone unless they have a vasectomy because I'm off of birth control now and um, getting your tube tied is a pretty hard process. So, um, you know, maybe if my future boyfriend has a vasectomy, I don't even need to get my tubes tied, which would make my life a lot easier. 
but either vasectomy or my tubes tied or we don't have sex because I don't like condoms. What have you discovered about yourself in your life through work with a life coach? I've discovered just so much. Like I've always, before I started working with a life coach, I thought I was crazy. Like I thought I was mentally insane and like there was just no helping me. And then working with a life coach is able has been able to connect a lot of dots for me that I just didn't see before. So it's like one toxic pattern. I'm trying to think of an example right now, but it's like, we're able to see where this toxic pattern started, why it came to be. Um, Like, for example, I was never able to set boundaries with people and I would let people walk all over me. And then I would just feel like very nauseous and like there were knots in my stomach and um it would turn into such bad anxiety i'd be like throwing up not from bulimia but just like the stress of it all and um with a life coach i was able to figure out that it's because my parents never let me set boundaries growing up and the moments that really shaped the rest of my life um so now i'm being able to shape boundaries a little bit easier i'm able to communicate better with people what i want what i need um so that is pretty cool Um, I mean, there's just like a lot of stuff, like even the guys I've gone for, because in my head, I remember thinking these guys are so different than my dad. Like I was purposely going for guys that are just different than my dad. Like they like different music than my dad. They have different hobbies than my dad. But then what they had in common with my dad is that they were emotionally neglectful. And, um, I wouldn't say the guys I went for were like verbally abusive, like my dad was, because that is something I just wouldn't be able to handle. But the neglectfulness was definitely a pattern with each and every one. So just being able to spot that with my life coach has been pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff, but off the top of my head, those are just two that I could think of. It's good that you've been able to assert yourself and set map out boundaries. But do you think that, you know, with a lot of things that you've mentioned a few moments ago, like ideally your partner having a vasectomy, Mm -hmm. separate bank accounts, that this control orientation that you seem to be adopting in a lot of areas is actually emulating the control orientation your parents had? Um, not really, because the vasectomy part is so I don't get pregnant. Um, and I think that if I'm dating a guy, he also doesn't have the intention of getting kids or of having kids. So he should want a vasectomy for himself anyways. Cause I mean, I am all for abortions. People should get abortions if they want to get abortions. So I want to be able to not get pregnant any way possible. And, um, I know there are some women who track their ovulation cycles and I know I'm not consistent enough to be able to do that. So like, if I'm having sex with someone, I need to know that I am not getting pregnant since birth control is just so unhealthy for you. Um, As far as separate bank accounts, that is something new that I have put into my like little um, like rules list for a man that I want to date just because I have already had the past three men try to gain way too much financially off of me. So I don't want to be taken advantage of like that again. With the chronic napping, do you find that you dream a lot? And what do you dream about? Um, if so. Yeah, I used to have a lot of nightmares. Um, 
honestly, even like three months ago, I used to have a lot of nightmares and finally it started shifting. Um, but my nightmares, it would be just like, it, it would have a very constant theme. It would be like, I like just an example, but like I was raped and I'm trying to yell to people like I was raped, please help me, please help me. And no one would even look at me. And I would just be like frantic and crying and running around or like in another dream. And these are all reoccurring. So like I've had all of these dreams multiple times, but in one of my dreams, like my boyfriend was beating me and I was like, I finally escaped him and I was trying to run to get help from people and no one wanted to help me. So that has been like the past year, just my reoccurring nightmare. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. The theme is that I'm not being heard and that I feel frantic and I feel like I just want to be heard and no one is hearing me. So that seems to be the theme in all of them. And in my real life, it's, you know, my parents never heard me. A lot of my friends never heard me. Um, it was really hard to set boundaries. And when I did, I lost a lot of friends. So I'm still not feeling heard by a lot of people because all I'm doing by even setting boundaries with people is telling them how to love me or how I need them to act to like receive love. Um, so when people don't receive that well or don't hear me, it just feels very frustrating and isolating um, because it would have been a lot easier just not to set that boundary in the first place. If I have it right, you worked at Anderson Frank for a little bit and Unishippers. Yeah. When did when did OnlyFans fit into the equation? Um, I started my OnlyFans. I mean, I was still technically at Unishippers, and then I made a whole month's salary in 24 hours, so then I quit the next day. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wow. Yeah. Has it veered into a weird territory where some of your followers want to, you know, meet you one-on-one -on -one or find out where you live? Things like that. Oh, my God. My subs want to do that all the time. And one of the exhausting things about some of my subscribers, not all of them, is like nothing you ever do is enough. It's like they get mad at you if you don't want to meet them one-on-one. -on -one. They're like, well, what's wrong with me? What's this? What's that? Or they want free content or they're mad at you because you're not filming any more sex tapes or they're mad at you because the video they bought wasn't long enough. Um, so it's just a lot of that can be really draining. In terms of the long-term aspect, do you see yourself maintaining the OnlyFans page, you know, many years into the future? Or is there something you would like to pursue, you know, maybe while keeping the OnlyFans? Yeah, um, I see myself having an OnlyFans till I'm old and wrinkly. Um you know, maybe I won't always do the kind of content I do because sometimes it can be pretty emotionally draining. Like if I'm not in the mood to masturbate, but it's like someone tipped me 
for a custom to masturbate, you know, the bigger and bigger I get, just the more selective I'm going to get with my content and what I do with my energy. Um, but I mean, my next project, I mean, it's, it's something I've been doing for a while, but I want my podcast to start generating money, generating income and have a good amount of subscribers and stuff like that and listeners. Perfect segue. You started two podcasts. Mm-hmm. That's offensive. Yeah. And we're our only fans. Yeah. But it, it looks like new episodes have not been released, at least publicly of late. Why might that be? Um. So I got really sick with mold poisoning earlier this year. And when I had mold poisoning, I wasn't able to really work. Um. So my numbers on OnlyFans did drop a little bit. And I dipped into my savings to keep the podcast going for a while. And I just had to take a break from the podcast just financially to get my savings back up there. And I was also just spending, recklessly spending money on ads and a marketing company and all of this stuff. Like, I think I spent like $10,000 plus a month just on the marketing agency and the ads that they were running, only to get a bunch of one-time viewers that looked like a lot of the time it just looks like fake people because they're not subscribing to the podcast and they're not reoccurring listeners. So I was like recklessly spending a lot of money and just in hopes that it could blow up my podcast. So the past few months I've just been saving up my money, but new episodes are coming out. Now you went on a Barstool podcast and you wanted, you wanted to be signed by them in terms of, you know, not getting the call back. Did that sting? What was going through your mind? No, actually, I still talk to Barstool. Um, just nothing has happened. Like, think they're not signing any podcast right now. So they asked to reconnect in a few months. So I don't have my feelings hurt because it's not like they're saying no. But yeah. Do you think the interest in podcasting is because it's finally a chance for you to be heard? I think part of it is that, yeah, um, podcasting is kind of like therapy for me in a way. Like I remember doing an episode about me getting bullied a lot growing up and I thought it was like a pretty funny episode. But then after I wrote the whole script and went over everything, I felt pretty emotional and there was like a big release there. Um, But I just don't think that the internet fully gets my personality. The things I've mainly been insecure about are my looks. So my podcast is a way to get people to actually get to know me. And that's what I've been so excited about. I tried like YouTubing and vlogging for a little bit. Um, but I had to stop because my friends kept getting mad at me because they would say that I, they could be in my YouTube videos. Like they would say, okay. And then when I would post it, they would get mad at me being like, can you take this down now? And I'm like, no, you already told me I could post it. Like it already has views. I can't just take it down. So, yeah, I, I just, like, want people to get to know me. And a lot of that does have to do with wanting to feel heard. And I'm just thinking that in, in the long-term plan, mm-hmm. would you want to be a professional podcaster? Yeah, that would be awesome. And I would still have my OnlyFans, and it would be awesome. Now, I'm assuming then that your assistant would be the person answering the DMs on OnlyFans because there's only so much time in the day. Uh, 
Not necessarily. I would just be charging more for my time. So I would be responding to like less people, but having a higher rate to like talk to me. Now, in terms of the decision of hiring an assistant, when did all this happen? Um, My assistant happened a year ago um, and she's been with me for a little bit. And she came because I had two managers who were helping me with my podcast and stuff like that. And um, I just felt like they were charging me a crazy amount of money for the amount of work they were doing. And then I was finally asking them, like, what even are you guys doing? And they couldn't even tell me what they were doing for me every day. And I think one month I gave them 15 grand to literally be sitting on their asses doing nothing. And then uh, my assistant, Kat, she's actually here right now. Um, But me and her were like Snapchatting and I was complaining about them. And she was asking like, well, what all do they do for you? And I told her and she's like, I would literally do that for a salary. She's like, I will do that for half the price of what they're charging. I was like, okay, sick deal. Um, So I fired them and hired her because she was also pretty unhappy with her job. So it's worked out pretty well since she's very organized and I am not. And I mean, how do you maintain that trust with Kat that you perhaps don't have with other people? What what makes the connection so unique? I think the connection is really unique because there's no lengthy contract of her trying to manipulate me. She doesn't really ask me for a lot of things. It's like when I give her a raise, it's because I feel like she deserves a raise. I don't feel taken advantage of or anything like that. Um, And one of the nicest things is she is very patient with me when I try to like set a boundary or tell her something that hurts my feelings. And with the mold poisoning, how did that actually happen? Oh my God, I got it all the way back in college. My doctor is when I was a sophomore in college being like, there is something wrong with me. And they kept doing blood work and they kept saying everything was fine. So I had mold poisoning from 2016 to literally this year that was undiagnosed. And I kept going to doctors because I'm like, no, I feel sick. Like there is just something wrong. And yeah, they kept telling me I was fine (laughs) and I wasn't. So, I mean, oftentimes mold poisoning creates respiratory issues. Do you find you have trouble breathing? Um, I did for a while, but I have a nebulizer and I put glutathione in it. So, I mean, I did that while I still had the mold. So all of the mold is definitely like dead in my lungs. And once a week I use like an oxygen tank and just get those oxygen levels going. But yeah, I have, um, I did go to a nose doctor cause I was like, it is kind of hard to breathe. And he says, I have a lot of scar tissue in my nose that I might need like, it's like a laser surgery. So there's not really downtime, but just to get all the scar tissue out of my nose to breathe better. Have you ever thought of Twitch streaming while inside the oxygen tank? I'm just spitballing <laughs> here, throwing it out there. Um, Not really. Um, I don't know. I usually, <laughs> oh, I, I do my lives on TikTok while I'm working out or doing something physical, but while I'm just on the oxygen tank, there's, there's not a lot to look at. There's not activity going on. Now, you've had some problems with your Instagram and TikTok accounts okay. being suspended and deleted, and that's been a big source of frustration. What do you think is happening? Is it your dad uh, 
coordinating a campaign to get it pulled or what's going on? No, I mean, it's the same people who get really angry at sex workers for being sex workers. And what a lot of these people do is um, they buy bots and they buy bots to mass report you and to get your pages deleted. And neither TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, they don't really have a source like they don't have anything to filter whether it's bots or real people reporting you and they'll just take down your page before even reviewing it. Like they will have an AI software review your page and delete it. So it's just, it's so frustrating. And they're also very selective with who they take down and who they don't take down. And um, I don't know how they choose, but it's like, I've seen girls nipples on the Playboy Instagram page, but I can't even post in pasties. No. at a rave in public so if something if i'm able to do something in public and it's legal why wouldn't i be able to do the same thing on instagram that makes no sense to me there's no justice in the world <laughs> now you you describe new york city as disgusting and grimy but if you yes. had to live in new york city for the barstool podcast gig would you do it no and that is something i already made clear to them and they said that's fine Oh, wow. So (laughs) ground rules, ground rules in terms of living situation for the podcast. Yeah, I'd I'd rather I think I'd rather die than live in New York for any amount of time. I could go for a weekend. I could go for a weekend, but I could not go for an extended amount of time. Are anxious bowel movements still a thing or is that going on? Yeah, they're still a thing. I don't think they're as bad as before because I'll have some days where I have normal poops. Um, and I used to have zero days where I had normal poops. So that's pretty cool. So I see little bits of improvement. I mean, the thing I love about you is your honesty. Do you think that your honesty, though, to others is off-putting or makes them uncomfortable? Because you said that for whatever reason the podcast didn't gain traction in the way that you'd like. And sometimes people don't connect with you for whatever reason. Why do you think that is? Is, it, um, is Does but, honesty make people uncomfortable? I don't know if it's that. Um, there are a lot of friends who, when I first met them, they thought I was putting on some sort of show and they thought it was fake. So at least from their point of view, they just thought I wasn't being like authentic and that I was kind of weird, but then they grew to love the weirdness and they were like, Oh, this is like actually who she is. Like she's, I don't know. Um, I know other people get uncomfortable with anyone who's authentic to themselves because they're not able to be authentic themselves. Um, and a lot of people in LA try to be like really cool and people who try to be really cool don't get along with me very well because I mean, I embarrass myself and others constantly. And I mean, I'm fine with embarrassing myself. I think it's funny. I love to joke about it. But other people don't like that. They want to look and act cool at all times and put on this image. And I don't try to put on this image. Uh, uh, Dave Portnoy. Mm -hmm. Does he have a chance? With me? No. But... As a friend, yeah, I would love, I would be best friends with Dave in a second. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I think he's so funny. Any closing thoughts you'd like to share with the Great A Nation audience? I was really trying to focus on not cussing. So to. And, and people, you failed. 
and I tried really hard. I know um, you tried hard. I appreciate it. So if you wanna if you wanna hear me, follow my podcast at um, it's gonna be that's offensive on pretty much all platforms. The website is that's offensive.co co. Um, and then my social media is it's deals. I know he already said this, but it's deals.com and you can find me everywhere. All right, Grady Nation. You heard it. Adelia Acker, it's deals.com. And she was a perfect guest in my estimation, in my view. She was funny. I just have to think about the bleeping of the, (laughs) of the curse words. It's okay. She was a great guest. Grady Nation. I appreciate your time.